Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. So, do Christians believe in karma? Karma is something that you hear about quite a bit in the world. It's a really, really old concept, actually. The idea of karma dates back about 700 years, even before Jesus. And of course, part of karma is just common sense. We all know that what goes around comes around. We've all experienced that, you know, there are actions in this life, there are things that we do, and they have effects. They have consequences, whether good or bad, and we know that there are always outcomes tied to almost everything that we do, because otherwise we wouldn't really do them, right? We would largely just be inactive, except that we have this internal sense that what we do matters, what we do causes results, and we know sometimes it can be good or it can be bad. And so people who are very optimistic, they look at karma as an opportunity to go out there and they do good in the world, trusting that good will return to them because of karma. But the sad reality of that is, if you also believe that, then the bad that you do in this world will also come back on you. It seems inevitable. And so you might think of karma very technically as an action seen as bringing upon oneself inevitable results, good or bad. These results seem to be unescapable. And when those are good results, we're very happy. But when they're bad results, well, we're not so happy, are we? Or you may be more familiar with this definition of karma that's very popular. You know that karma's a bummer, right? You just know that internally. You're like, oh man, this is not a good thing because I've done something bad and I'm pretty sure that it's going to come back on my head. So as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, do we believe in karma. Now, some of the world religions take it even further, and they will tell you that the karmic outcome of your life even extends into the next life. And in fact, if you do a lot of good in this world, you might improve your station in some sort of reincarnation. Or if you do a lot of bad in the world, you know, a lot of sort of kicking of the dog, then you're going to come back as some sort of lower reincarnation. And we definitely don't believe that. But we can't divorce ourselves from the fact that we understand and we know that our Actions have results, but we don't truly believe in karma. We believe in hesed. And hesed is a very important concept in the Bible. Think of hesed as this, an act of kindness that is not done out of obligation. And hesed is mentioned over and over and over throughout the Bible. It's a Hebrew word, and so, of course, it's the Old Testament of the Bible that's written in Hebrew. So that's where we see hesed mentioned over 250 times. And it's such a, a rich 
concept that it can be translated a number of different ways. Sometimes it's translated as mercy, that's about half the time, or as kindness, or of loving kindness, or of goodness. This word hesed. In fact, it's such an important word that the people of Jesus' day who wanted to be most observant in their faith, those who wanted to be most pious and most genuine, they call themselves the Hasids, right? And we still have Hasids today. They all live in Brooklyn, right? So it still exists today, this concept of hesed and the Hasids. And what's interesting about hesed is, of course, karma says everything that you do returns to you. And hesed, we'll see, actually teaches that much of what you do, yes, it does return to you, but not out of obligation. And so we're going to start to unpack that. And hesed is a really important theme in the book of Ruth. So take out a Bible right now. Every single person is going to need a Bible today because we're going to be reading an extended passage. And I want you to see what we're in. I want you to dig in and see this. So turn to Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to look for hesed specifically in the book. Now, when we get to Ruth, remember, Ruth is a four-chapter book. So by chapter 3, the story is well underway. So our context is in chapter 1, Ruth and Naomi were living in Moab. All of their husbands had died, including another sister-in-law, Orpah. Ruth and Naomi chose to return back to Bethlehem in Israel. And then in chapter 2, Ruth went to work for herself and for Naomi so that they could eat. And she went to work in the field of a man named Boaz. And things were going pretty well in the field, especially as far as you know, manual labor by a widow woman could go. She was seeing fruit from her labor. Actually, she was seeing grain from her labor. That's not the right idiom, I guess. But she was seeing result from her labor, and th good things were happening. And so now here in chapter 3, Naomi is speaking, and she's going to start to explain to Ruth, hey, I think we can go deeper. So this is Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. That's a good question. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone 
could be recognized and said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back into town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So this is the turning point in the book of Ruth. This is where we're starting to see a real, lasting, genuine hope coming out of the text. Until now, yes, Ruth and Naomi had been sort of day to day, even week to week. They were able to eat, but there was no future for them. Now, there's a real future for them that's coming, and it's rooted in Hesed. And specifically, Hesed has been mentioned once each chapter, and the context is really interesting. In chapter 1, it's Naomi speaking and praying Hesed over her daughters-in-law. She says, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, Hesed, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So Naomi is saying, Ruth and Orpah, both of you, you have shown me kindness. I'm praying that God will show you kindness. And in chapter 2, we have Naomi speaking about the Hesed of Boaz. Boaz has been kind to Ruth in the fields. And Naomi says, the Lord bless him. She's speaking I'm praying a blessing over Naomi. Why? He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. Then there's a hint to chapter 3. Oh, by the way, he could redeem us. And then the one that we just read in chapter 3 was Boaz speaking about Ruth's hesed. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness coming to him, coming to Boaz, is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, you have to know the cultural context of this one, because if you don't, Boaz sounds a little full of himself. Like, Ruth comes to him and says, Boaz, I want you to be my husband. And he says, well, that's a great decision. In fact, I commend you for your wisdom in picking me as your husband. But that's not what he says, because he says, when you didn't run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, he's talking about family loyalty, which is part of Hesed. See, Ruth, by choosing to, to be married to Boaz, or at least asking him, she was showing a loyalty to Naomi because Boaz, in his family, was the only one who could give Naomi, the widowed grandmother, could give her an actual heir that would live on her husband's and her family line. See, Ruth was free to marry someone else. She would simply join a new family and she would leave Naomi behind. So when Boaz is speaking of her hesed, he's talking about a covenant love and a compassion that she showed because Ruth says, I will still, even in this choose to stay loyal to Naomi. So how does Ruth show us the difference between karma and hesed? I think in three ways. The first one is this. Karma is normal, but hesed requires extraordinary commitment. Have you ever known anyone who sort of does just the bare minimum? Like, just enough to get by. I mean, a lot of my friends who are teachers, they tell me, you know, these are the students who make them a little bit crazy. You know, parents, we see it sometimes in our children. We say, don't do the minimum, do more. Because there's this sense in us that we say, you know, sometimes good is good enough. 
But Hesed says good is never good enough. Hesed requires an extraordinary commitment to say, I will show you love and loving kindness and mercy and covenant love far beyond what's actually required, far beyond what's necessary. And in Ruth, the author does this very carefully with two sets of characters. There's kind of a compare and contrast in the beginning of the book and at the end of the book. The first one is the two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Okay, they started out in the same situation. They were women of Moab. That's where Elimelech had moved with his sons. And both of his sons married these women from Moab. And they were in the same position, but unfortunately, Elimelech, the father, died. Both of the sons died. Both of these women were widows. And Naomi told them, you're free. You don't have to come with me. In fact, I can't even help you. And the text says that Orpah reluctantly agreed and said, okay, Naomi. And she was heartbroken, but she went back to her own family. She's not actually criticized for this decision in the text in any way. Simply stated as fact. Orpah went home. But it was Ruth who showed that extraordinary commitment. She said, no, no, no. I'm all in. I'm going to go all the way. I'm committed to you no matter what. Not just what's normal. Not just the minimum. Not that which is required. But actually going so much further to show a covenant love. A commitment to say, I am with you no matter what. And it happens again at the end of the book, sort of two bookends to show us true hesed in the book. Because in chapter 4, we'll be reading it soon in the coming weeks, that we have Boaz and another man who's unnamed who also had the right to redeem Ruth. And so what Boaz went to this unnamed redeemer and said, here's the situation. Ruth is interested in being married again. She's interested in being redeemed by one of the redeemers of our family. She wants to stay in our family out of loyalty to Naomi. Uh, but there is going to be some cost because this is Elimelech's heir. And the unnamed redeemer, he just passes. Again, not criticized in the text for passing. In fact, the... The ability for him to pass right there in front of the town elders and everything shows you that culturally that this was an option. Because when he opted out, the elders didn't stand up. There was no outrage. There was no indignation. This was simply the normal thing. And it was Boaz who says, no, no, no. I am all in. I am committed to Ruth. This is going to cost me. But I am remaining extraordinarily committed to Ruth. At Beacon, part, part of what we teach, one of our foundational principles is that a person who's following Christ does really five things in this life. They seek to know Jesus, love your spiritual family, live a questionable life, intentionally make disciples, and bless your neighbor. And I think what we're seeing very clearly here in the concept of Hesed is that idea of living a questionable life. Of saying, I'm going to go far beyond what I have to do. In an unusual way, even a questionable way, a way that says, I am all in. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to be safe, but I'm going to invest. And as you're thinking about this, you can probably already have ways that come to mind. You say, this is how I might be able to live a questionable life. You know, maybe you can begin to express uncommon generosity. You know, some of my friends, when we go out for lunch and for dinner, you know, some of them fight over who's going to pay the check. Others of them make sure to go to the bathroom every time the check is going to come, right? And the first time you're like, oh, I think that was just a fluke. But then you realize, wow, they always have to go when the check 
comes. Or like if you're at a diner and you have to go up to the register, they always sort of lag behind as you're walking up, hoping that you'll get there first. People know how generous you are very quickly. Are you willing to express uncommon generosity? Especially with your time. I know how busy you are. Are we willing to show an open-handedness with our time with people? To say, I'm here for you. Do you take that call that you don't want, that you know is going to be an hour long? Do you give of yourself in that way? Do you say, I could just simply send them a text of encouragement, but no. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to show you. You know, could you show a willingness to speak highly of others at all times and in every conversation? That would be very questionable, wouldn't it? When people come to you and they say, you will never believe what Greg did. And you'd be like, you're right, I, I don't believe it. That doesn't sound like him. I would have, I, he must have had a terrible day. We should pray for him. People would be stunned, right? Because they're waiting for you to pile on. But what if instead we said, I'm not going to do the, the minimum, you know. I'm going to go invest. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to say, no, no. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to live a questionable life. I'm not going to do what's normal. I'm going to do Show extraordinary commitment. All right, now on top of that, we know that, yes, karma is cyclical. That's the whole concept of karma. What goes around comes around. But hesed breaks the cycle. See, it's really easy, in my opinion, not really easy, but it's somewhat easy to show kindness to people who deserve it, right? When someone is kind to you, it's not difficult to show them kindness in return. That's just called being human. And I know we don't all do it all the time, but, you know, if you're simply returning kindness, that's like, you know, beyond remedial level. Karma is also cyclical that if somebody burns you, you can take the opportunity to burn them right back. They earned it, right? And part of this cycle is we also will show kindness to people who will be an asset to us. Someone who has something that you need or something that you want. You know, when you find out your friend, your acquaintance, has a cabin right near where you like to ski, well, it's amazing how friendships can blossom on the spot, right? Because we're, it's, it's kind of transactional in nature that we say, wow, you have something that I want, I'd like to get it, so I'm going to show some kindness and see if I can earn that. And there's this cyclicalness to karma because so often we're kind to people and we just expect it in return. The other day, just a couple days ago, my son and I were hanging out one evening. We decided to go and get a coffee. So we go to Starbucks. We're almost to the door. And my son says, oh, I want to grab something from the car. So he goes back. So I'm standing near the door. And he's coming, but a family comes, three women, probably mom, older daughter, younger daughter, the three of them. They come up, so of course I hold the door for them. This is, this is automatic, right? So I hold the door, the three of them walk in, and then my son comes and I come. So we're all kind of, the five of us are all kind of together, but they're in front of me now. This particular Starbucks, it's a long way from the door to the register. And the register, in fact, the line kind of wraps around. So we're sort of behind them all the way, and I'm already like, oh, no, this is not good because they're walking so slow. So I'm like, can I, am I allowed to, like, shoot past them? I mean, I just let them in the door, so now they, they, they owe me one, right? So I can just pass right by. But I don't because my son is there, and I want to set a good example. <laughs> then we get in line, 
and there's no one at the register. So my gut's not too bad. They stop at the case, all three of them, like it's a zoo. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Look at this. This looks delicious. I'm like just vibrating behind them. But I think I'm keeping it to myself. I think I'm totally cool. Nobody knows. And then finally the mom turns around and goes, you can go ahead if you want. I'm like, oh, she knew. <laughs> but since she asked me if I want to go ahead, I still can't go, right? I'm like, oh, no, no. You guys go ahead. And she was like, no, really. I'm like, okay, fine. Thank you. So we kind of went. Because I let them in the door. There was just, I, I kind of felt like they owed me now. I couldn't just calmly stay behind them. But somehow we need to be willing to break those cycles. Because in Ruth, we see something totally different. Because Ruth showed hesed to Naomi. And you know what she got for that? She got nothing. She actually had a harder life. She left behind everyone she had ever known. She left behind her culture. She left behind her family. In her culture, that also means she left behind the ability to be buried with her own people, which is a big thing in the ancient world. She left all of that behind, and she got nothing from Naomi, except she showed Hesed love to Naomi and to her God. And when Boaz chose to show Hesed love to Ruth, you know what he got for that? He got an extra mouth, two extra mouths to feed eventually, and another field to work that would never belong to him. So he was raising a child and working a field for which he would not get any return. See, they chose to break the cycle. And in that way, we see exactly the call that's placed in our lives. We know that we are called to be cycle breakers. Why? Because what we have earned, what deserves to come back to us as sinners is the punishment for our sin. That's the energy that we've sent out into this world. We have all sinned, and now what should come back on us is the punishment for our own sin, which is death and is eternity apart from God. But Jesus stepped in and he said, I'm going to break this cycle. This cycle is no longer going to rule your life. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and said, I will break this cycle. So this is why we don't believe in karma, because otherwise everything you had done, you would already be in such dire straits, except Jesus says, I'm the cycle breaker. This is not going to happen. I will stop it. That's the call that we have on our lives to break that cycle. And as we begin to live that out in the world, there are so many other cycles that we need to break. You know, you might be in a relationship right now. It might be a marriage. It might be a sibling. It could be a parent. And you guys are, you're in it, man. They're sending hurt your way. You're sending it back. At this point, everyone feels justified. Everyone feels dishonored. Everyone is hurt. Everyone is wounded. And someone is going to have to say, I will end this cycle. I will absorb this on myself so that things can be made right again. You might have to ask yourself, do I want to be in relationship with them or do I want to be right? It's a hard one. Are you willing to absorb that? How many people in your life are you really paying back what they owe? You know, it might not be something so serious. You know, maybe for you, it's just simply that place you have in your heart for that person who parks in front of your house. We've got the whole street here. 
you have plenty of room in your driveway for more cars. But you parked in front of my house. So not only am I going to give you grief, I'm going to go on the town Facebook page and tell everyone that anyone who parks in front of anyone else's house is garbage. Because I own it. No, you don't. Right? Or when someone's garbage can has like, you know, the garbage men left it in the street. Do you hit it with your car? No, you don't. Right? Of course not, because that would damage your car. Or maybe for you, it's just that special place in your heart you have for the coworker who finishes the coffee but doesn't make coffee, right? You're like, wait a minute. So when you got here, there was coffee ready and waiting for you. When you left here, there was no coffee ready and waiting for anyone else. Let me think about this for a second. Now I can't figure it out. There's no way to remedy this. Just let it go. Are you willing to break the cycle? When we choose to live with hesed, it's not simply for the betterment of the world around us. The scriptures actually teach that this is behavior that is rewarded by God. Did you notice in every single verse that we read in Ruth, there was someone praising God, either in prayer or blessing, asking him to show hesed to someone who had already shown it to someone else. They were praying that God would bless in hesed. There's another one, Ruth chapter 2 saying, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. God loves and honors and rewards those who live with hesed. It's reinforced throughout the scriptures. You know, Paul writes in the same way, you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So when we choose to live with Hesed, God honors that and he blesses that. Now, if that's your end game, if you're showing Hesed for the compensation, it's not Hesed anymore, right? You, you see that. You're like, all right, well, I'm going to you know, be nice to this person so I can get a better return on my investment. Well, that's not Hesed anymore. But the scripture teaches when we show true, generous, proper Hesed. God rewards that behavior. All right, so on top of that, we also know karma is the world's law, but hesed is God's law. See, this is simply, you know, this is cause and effect. This is the natural order. The things we do have results. But when God laid out his law, he said, we are not going to treat each other this way. We're going to treat each other with hesed. And that's why the law was created. And it's beautiful to see how so often the pairing of God's law with Hesed is consistent in the scriptures. It starts on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is when Charlton Heston went up the mountain. Okay, I'm not going to be able to tell that joke very much longer because that's a really old movie. And I could say they still show it on cable, but none of you have cable either, so this is dying fast. But anyway, Charlton Heston goes up the mountain. He actually receives the tablets the first time. He comes down, he's mad, and he breaks them, right? He goes back up. Imagine that conversation, by the way. This is not in the text, but just imagine you're Moses. You go back up and you're like, God, here's the thing. The tablets, I went down. It wasn't my fault. I was, but I got really, I, I need some new tablets. And this was what God said to Moses. This is asking for tablet set number two. He said, the Lord, he's speaking of himself, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, Hesed, 
and faithfulness, maintaining love, hesed, to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So when Moses says, we're going to need some new tablets, God says, I'm going to give you the law, I'm going to give you the law again because of my hesed. And in my hesed, I give you this law so that you can treat each other properly, you can treat each other the way that, you, that I have designed it, so that your society can be just and right and good. And so, in the Old Testament, if you go a little further into Leviticus, after you know, the Ten Commandments, God starts to lay out three important festivals for the whole nation. They're the three festivals of pilgrimage, and the whole nation would appear together for these three festivals. Now later it would become tradition that for the pilgrimage festivals, everyone would come to the temple. They would actually come together. And the three festivals, two of them are together in the spring. The Hebrew names are Peshach and Shavuot. Don't say that though. They're Passover and Feast of Weeks. The fall one, by the way, is called Sukkot. Now we have a lot of ethnic Jews in our area. Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles. If you ever see, in the, for us, this will be either in September or October. If you ever pass a synagogue and they have a killer fort right in front, all decorated, you've seen this, right? Don't you want to play in the fort just a little bit? That's what they do for eight days. Now, they have important services, and I think drink vodka in the fort. But anyway, I am not an ethnic Jew, so I'm not totally sure. The spring festivals, though, are close together. In fact, it's called the Feast of Weeks because from Passover... The Shavuot is seven weeks and one day. And this is to remember the period which was at roughly the same amount of time between leaving Egypt, that's Passover, and the exodus over to Mount Sinai where the law receiving process began was about 50 days roughly. And so when God was laying out the festivals and the religious leaders were putting them on a calendar, they said, all right, it's going to be 50 days between Passover and the Feast of Weeks. And it became tradition for these pilgrimage festivals to read the scripture out loud, just as we've been doing throughout this series. So the nation would come together and scripture would be read. And at the Feast of Weeks, they would read the book of Ruth in its entirety because they wanted to be reminded of the law they were given at Sinai. And there's no better reminder of the law than to read the story of Ruth. Because to live like Ruth is to live out God's law. Ruth is the good Samaritan of the Old Testament. She's the outsider who lived God's law perfectly so that we could learn and grow. And so they would read this together, the whole book, to be reminded of how to live God's way. And you probably remember, but if not, Jesus, when he was teaching... The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they wanted to trip him up. They came to him and they said, all right, we've got all these laws, over 600 laws. Which law is the most important? What did Jesus say? He said, what's most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes all in. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He says, love God, love others. That's the whole law summarized. Go all in on love. And so to understand God's law is to live in Hesed. And I find it 
kind of touching to realize, you know, in Jesus' day, they still celebrated the Feast of Weeks. But they didn't call it Shavuot, because that was Hebrew, and no one spoke Hebrew anymore. They certainly didn't call it Feast of Weeks. They called it Pentecost. Penta meaning 50. So 50 days after Passover, they would read Ruth aloud as a nation. Well, Jesus died the day after Passover. And so if you put together the culture and the context, that means in Acts chapter 2, which is the most famous outpouring of God's love and spirit on his people, in that moment, those who were gathered and waiting in the upper room, they had nearly undoubtedly gone together to the temple and heard the book of Ruth read over them. Then they had gone back and they had prayed again for God to pour out his spirit on all people, and he did. He poured out on them in that moment at Pentecost, at Feast of Weeks. He said, now live with true and lasting has said, because the most loving thing you can do is go out on the mission of God and make sure that everyone that surrounds you knows the love that Jesus has for them. That everyone that you know is aware of their need for Christ, the depth of their sin, the, ne the, the necessity of God's grace in their life. And so when we learn to live with hesed is to have such a loving compassion and grace and kindness in everyone that we know that we have a burden to make sure that they understand that they are far from God and they need him desperately. This was the inauguration of God's church. That the spirit came and said, go out and live with hesed. So how will you go out on the mission of God? How will you go out? And make sure that those who you know and love, those who you're in community with, they will see Hesed in you, that it's a visible display of God's way, and that you will speak truth into their life, that they know that they need Jesus in their heart. How can we possibly do this? Frederick Faber said it this way, kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning. And who is Frederick Faber? Why do we care? Frederick Faber was a hymn writer. He lived in the 19th century. And he wrote one of the most famous hymns in the history of the Christian faith. He wrote a hymn called Faith of Our Fathers. And if you grew up in churches that were liturgical or traditional, you, are, you could sing it right now. You've heard this a thousand times. And one of the verses there, he's so clear and specific. In verse 3, he writes, Faith of our fathers, we will strive to win all nations unto thee. And through the truth that comes from God, mankind shall then indeed be free. Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death. So I'm going to ask the band to come up right now and they're going to lead us through communion and through the rest of our service. And as they do, I, I hope that God has impressed on your heart Maybe someone in your life who you realize you could show some more hesed to. I was challenged more than once this week, not just in the coffee shop, but even in my relationships and some of the most relationships that are most close to me. I said, you know, I haven't shown the kindness and the grace that I should. And I also pray that God might be speaking to you areas of your life where you say, you know, I want to show Jesus' love. I want to demonstrate his kindness and his goodness. I want to make sure that everyone who I know and love is aware of their need for a Savior. So would you pray with me? God, we love you, and it's our honor and it's our privilege to be representatives 
of you in this world. Forgive us for the times when we fall short in this and instead teach us to live a life of hesed. Not that we can be the best version of ourselves, but instead so that we can demonstrate the love of Jesus and the need for Jesus to everyone that we've ever met. And so we pray this in Jesus' name.